You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Hey kids, it's Danny Tamborelli, also known as Little Pete from The Adventures of Pete and Pete. And this is Michael C. Morona, a.k.a. Big Pete from the same show. And uh, my name is Jeremy. I produce this podcast, The Adventures of Danny and Mike, on the Last Podcast Network. Hey, JB, can you tell them what it's all about? The Adventures of Danny and Mike is a weekly podcast with equal parts nostalgia, comedy, and surprises. That's right. So check us out on The Last Podcast Network. The Last Podcast, podcast Network. Network. Let the word go forth. Fool me once. Are you fired up? I'm not a crook. Are you ready to go? Shame on, shame on you. It's Abe Lincoln's Top Hat, hosted by Ben Kissel. Boom, we can't get fooled again. Hello, everyone. How you doing? Ben Kissel here. I hope everyone is doing wonderful and enjoyed the State of the Union address and everyone isn't too hungover today. Uh, We're recording this on Wednesday. Um, I am honored to have with me as a guest today. She is a Democratic strategist, and uh, we've we've talked, um, I think, a couple of times before, and her name is Jamu Green. Thank you so much for being on the show. Ben, thanks for having me. Great to be back. We were just talking. You live in Austin, Texas now, and I'm extremely jealous that I'm talking to someone in a city that I'd rather be in, and you um, used to work at the Paramount Theater, the place we performed, and we did discuss the fact that the Paramount Theater is forever haunted. And I just think that's really fun. Yes. Well, I I wasn't officially working. My dad was the janitor there, and I would go and help him clean it up late at night as a kid in that haunted stage. Um, So as you can imagine, I'm still afraid of the dark. (laughs) That's good. Um, Well, we would love to talk to you more if you saw any any ghosts. We'll get to politics, but did you see any ghosts? I have to ask that question. Uh, No, not that I can recall. I just remember being terrified. Okay. All right. Well, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's a beautiful place where you're at. So let's talk, first of all, where, where should we start? There's a lot to get to. The State of the Union. The State of the Union. Let's, let's start with the State of the Union, and then we'll go to Stacey Abrams' response, and then we'll go into what the hell is happening in Virginia, because that it just gets weirder every day. And then we can talk about the Democratic Party in general and break down some of the candidates who have announced they're running. So, State of the Union, Donald Trump, as far as Donald Trump goes, as fo- I suppose on a, on a performance level, uh, what did you think? I thought on a performance level, it was it, it was it was fine. I, I suppose mission accomplished. I suppose uh, for Donald Trump. But what did you think on on a, on a performance level? And then we'll talk more about the substance. I have to say, Ben, the the fact that we judge uh, a president giving a state of the union on his performance level kind of makes me a little bit sick to my stomach. Okay. I understand that. It it totally plays into president Trump's game where, you know, we have to take into account when he's going to make a speech to the nation that this is a president who has lied more than 8,000 times (laughs) in his presidency, according to nonpartisan fact checkers. So, okay. So he's going to, he's going to get in front of a joint session of Congress and say a few things that how is the public supposed to even understand what is truth coming from him and what is just another one of his lies. So he got up last night and, and tried to talk about, you know, uh, the moving away from the politics of revenge and, and retribution. <laughs> right. And and this is hours, hours after he was saying some very 
very derogatory things about Democratic leaders. Well, I, I actually have that here. So um, this is what he said. This is in the start. This was the day of the State of the Union, as, as Jammu pointed out. The point of this speech was supposed to be about unity hours before. This is what he had to say about Joe Biden. He said Biden was never, never very smart. He was a terrible student. His gaffes are unbelievable, which, of course, is so ironic coming from Trump. But he goes on to say, when I say something that you might think is a gaffe, it's on purpose. It's not a gaffe. When Biden says something dumb, it's because he's dumb. So he just straight up called Biden dumb. There you go. And the, the way that yeah. he explains his gaffes is, oh, what a world. Uh, on a Senator Elizabeth Warren, he says, I hope I haven't wounded Pocahontas too badly. Of course, going back to that, uh, he says I'd be I'd like to run against her. When it comes to Chuck Schumer, he just says he can be a nasty son of a bitch. And um, so there you go. And when it comes to Ralph Northam, who we'll talk about, he says he uh, he choked like a dog during the press conference. So that was just hours before giving the State of the Union address about unity, to your point. And so we're supposed to take anything that he says seriously. You know, certainly there were parts of his speech that you know, things that Democrats want to see happen right. and, and things that Democrats could certainly celebrate, the, the criminal justice bill yeah, that just absolutely. passed mm-hmm. and celebrating that and having Alice Johnson there in the audience yep. uh, talking about the opportunity for infrastructure. But, you know, he also, you know, he, he flip-flopped from, you know, really showing uh, kind of the heart and, and values of who we are as a country to the underbelly of uh, of trying to demonize undocumented immigrants yeah. in this country. And yeah. and I don't think this president understands the number of people who are Americans who have mixed status relatives. Absolutely. And so when he is when he's criminalizing an entire population of people and, and when he's exaggerating the impact that they have uh, on crime, yep. that's that that there's no way to separate that from, you know, the call for an American community, which is what I think mm-hmm. Stacey Abrams, who did the Democratic response, I thought she did brilliantly yeah. in in really uh, articulating the Democratic agenda and mm-hmm. articulating what Democrats are going to fight for yeah. Yeah. Uh, and articulating the, the impact of the stunt of the government shutdown and mm-hmm. the impact it had. Absolutely. She brought politics back to the kitchen table, and I do have to say that the fact that she is not a governor, Ugh. and Ralph Northam is, is just, it's heartbreaking. It is, and of course, uh, the man that she ran against in Georgia, of course, he was in control of the voting rolls, and uh, without a doubt, uh, they purged quite a few people who Stacey Abrams had engaged in the process for the first time. And they disenfranchised a lot of folks, and the vote was completely rigged uh, against her. And she still damn near won the thing. But just going back, because let's talk about Northam and Stacey. Or let's talk about Stacey Abrams in a second, because I because I, I do want to hear more on that. But when it comes to um, Donald Trump uh, and his State of the Union address, um, did you were there any? What were your other key takeaways? Because I agree, I think everyone agrees. Criminal justice that that's awesome. Bipartisan bill. Cory Booker brought somebody who benefited from the criminal justice bill. There was another person in there. I I, I forget the name of the African American woman that he pointed out who uh, he commuted her sentence. She was given a life sentence for selling a that small. Was Alice Johnson. Alice Johnson. Yeah, you mentioned her name before. That was wonderful. Uh, and then you're 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 correct. That pivot to immigration is like, what the hell is happening? And it's more than just a pivot to immigration. It's a you know, it's talking about racial politics. My father is a German resident here. He ra- married my mother. Doesn't have a citizenship. He can't vote in this country. But we know we're not talking about German immigrants when we talk about immigration. It's specifically Hispanics. That that's been his his mantra since the day he launched and came down. Uh, the elevator to launch his presidential campaign was, right. was targeting Hispanics um, and and criminalizing them, and and he continued that uh, and and certainly was in many ways I think trying to make his case continued case for that this is a, a crisis in this country when in his speech he didn't even talk about actual crisis uh, the no. epidemic of gun violence yeah, right. climate change wasn't mentioned at all and. 
if we are to take anything he says seriously about the impact of these policies on individuals and, and, and he leaves out two things that are so drastically affecting families across this country, right. uh, it, again, it's impossible to believe him. Yeah. You know, even one of the one of the bright spots, I guess, but to me is is a little bit dimmer. Um, and I am not recalling the name of the young child who had cancer, um, but talking about how they're going to combat childhood cancer. And I believe the number that he proposed was five hundred million dollars. And I just couldn't help but think. And of course, you know, that's great. Any dollar is awesome to combat childhood cancer. But I just couldn't help but think. $500 million in the grand scheme of things for the federal government. You know, we want $5 billion for now steel slats that you can see through. He's constantly changing his rhetoric on the wall. But isn't that a little bit sad that we're going to almost spend, uh, you know, you know, whatever the percentage is, 15 times, 20 times the amount of money on, on a stupid structure on the southern border as opposed to combating childhood cancer i thought that was uh, i thought that was kind of sad oh you know i couldn't agree with you more and i mean it does also make me start to think that one of the reasons that you have republicans saying that they don't want this president to declare a national crisis is because when a democrat is in office right the opportunity that that presents and so i kind of then start to think well okay um, look at the Democratic field, and they're all awesome. And they could become president and say gun violence is a national crisis, and they could cut through the NRA's control over Congress and really get some things done. Um, so it's hard for me not to go down that slippery slope of thinking, okay, when it's when it's Democrats' turn, what could we do? Uh, to address cancer? What could we do mm. to lower prescription drugs? What could we do to address the AIDS crisis? And, you know, these are all, again, issues that President Trump brought up in his State of the Union. Right. Um, a couple of new ones, uh, but some of the ones, like rebuilding infrastructure, were in his discussion last year. Mm. And where has his focus been all year? On this wall. It has yeah. been the only priority for him. And when he lies yeah. to make his case, it undermines anyone's belief in anything he says about unity. Yeah, of course. I mean, and this this wall is just it's so ridiculously needless. I think everyone knows, you know, the vast majority of, of drugs don't even come through the southern border. Although, you know, there is no denying fentanyl is an issue. There's no denying, um, you know, these things are a problem. It's just he is so hell bent on this frickin' wall, uh, and you're right, it's, I think it's just, I, I, why do you think he is so hell-bent on the wall? Do you, do you think he just can't go against that sort of Ann Coulter base, you know, because even when he, when he reopened the government there with the exact same, um, you know, budget bill that they should, that they were, they, they could have signed a day before they shut down the government in the first frickin' place, but do you really think he's that beholden to that group of people and almost, scared in some ways to go against them i absolutely think that president trump believes that the wall is the manifestation of the hate that his base feeds into and and the hate that he has to be able to really to give them red meat to and and he understands his base so crystal clear you know there are a lot of people who say is the president a racist I don't necessarily think he's a racist, but I think he knows how to stoke racial anxiety and hatred against, you know, the only thing you have to fear is brown people, which has been his, his messaging for you know the past two years, or actually the past four years. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and that's something that he is feeding uh, this base that he knows if he does not feed it to them, he might lose them. And, and they're really the only thing that his, put him in the White House, mm -hmm. and, and they're the only thing that keeps him in power. He, right. he gets that more than anyone. Uh, and and, and th that manifest manifestation of hate is something that a president of the United States should be fighting against, not feeding. I, I completely uh, and utterly agree with that sentiment. Now, of course, that so there is that sort of really hawkish, uh, conservative immigration part of his base. But then another key component is the evangelical base. 
I want to hear your thoughts when he was talking about abortion. He had really strong words on abortion, and oftentimes we don't hear that so much coming from a State of the Union. Uh, I would assume, of course, talking about the legislation that was passed here in New York State, I would assume that that would play very, very well for his evangelical base. And it seems like he's really at this point, uh, obviously we're already in the election cycle, you know, which is just so bizarre uh, to even think that, but it seems like he's really trying to solidify those bases once again and get them motivated for 2020. I, I think certainly one of the aspects of last night's State of the Union was President Trump making that shift from being, uh, you know, from being the president to being the incumbent running for 2020. And his evangelical base was, was a target for him last night, mm-hmm. as they have been with his appointments in, in, in the courts. And he, he also fed them with the lies he told on abortion. And it's, it's really important to point out that the right to access safe and legal abortion is at risk in this country. And so why some of these states with Democrats having some power in these state houses, why these laws are being discussed now is because there have been more than 400 laws in the past couple of years to roll back abortion rights. And the lies that are being told about what Governor Northam said in Virginia uh, and also about the New York state law are, uh, you know, were continued last night at that podium by President Trump like you said, feeding his evangelical base uh, about a woman's decision that should be made between her, her doctor, and her faith. Yeah, I mean, and of course, when it comes to late-term abortions, they're exceptionally, exceptionally rare. Uh, But as we've seen with this president, oftentimes they highlight uh, a small thing and try to expand it out as representative of the broader whole, um, which is just simply inaccurate. I want to talk just lastly about um, the one thing that I know I don't I hate. Well, we both do television news all the time. And sometimes you watch I watch the State of the Union and then I watched all all three of the main networks and all of their responses. I'm like, everyone got it wrong. I'm like, everyone, all of you are nonsense. But the one thing that uh, like MSNBC continued to talk about was the line about investigations, how you can't have legislation with investigations. Do you think that's going to move the needle on when we're going to find out what the hell is in this Mueller report, which I'm just like, get on with this damn thing already. But what do you think about that? Do you think that's going to speed up the process or it's just going to, or you know, you, you know how it works. I mean, how, what, what, what's your timeline on all of that? If, if I remember correctly, it was the one place in the speech where he rhymed, right? Yes, so he I loved, guess that yeah, good rhyme. It's, it's, it was really important to him to get the Democrats in the House to stop investigating him, to basically stop doing their job. And I, I think you saw some of the faces, the reactions, that's not going to happen. We, you know, we've heard from Congressman Adam Schiff, who has made it clear that for these past two years, he has not had to deal with oversight. And it, he, he's afraid. The president is afraid of what oversight looks like. And right. he, unfortunately, does not have the power, whether he rides in the State of the Union or not. <laughs> um, and what we're seeing with some of these indictments is that this does not look to be wrapping up as much as you have the people in the administration, like the uh, acting attorney general trying to say publicly that it is wrapping up. Um, Mueller's the only one knows when this is going to wrap up. And I I say to Democrats all the, all the time, keep calm and Mueller on. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Keep calm about it. I mean, you know, it has been, it has been going on for a long time and, uh, who knows if it'll be an, uh, anticlimactic or not? I really, you know, at this point, do you think when is when is Barr going to get in there? Just quickly about the AG, do you think William Barr is going to get confirmed anytime soon? Or because this Whitaker dude, I mean, honestly, he's such a stooge. I I just don't don't really like him in that position. He he looks like a stooge, and we know he's a stooge. Everyone's like, why the hell is he the AG right now? I just don't really like him being there. To me, it just makes me feel a little insecure. Well, you know, President Trump hires all the best people, right? I know, I know. I saw that. I heard that before. It's it's very um, reflective of the other types of 
people he has had around him, whether that is Michael Cohen or, um, you know, uh, Roger Stone. And, you know, the acting attorney general kind of fits in that. And (laughs) I I do think that we're going to see a confirmation soon. I do think it's troubling. It's troubling that you saw Barr send this letter to everyone in the Trump world, uh, basically saying that, you know, unsolicited, unsolicited and, and, and really going after the Mueller investigation. That is extremely troubling. But but again, I, I, I have faith and confidence in the institution that Mueller came up through our, our justice system uh, and, and the FBI. And I have I have faith in that investigation as much as Donald Trump has has brought toxicity into our government. Right. I have faith in this investigation. Yeah. And just we'll go on to Stacey Abrams here now. But, uh, you know, just to wrap up with Donald Trump's performance and with some of the rhetoric, it is interesting because when he talks about women, uh, you know, having uh, more uh, taking more jobs in the workplace, 58 percent of the jobs have been filled by women. You got the feeling that you could you could see when Ivanka's influence was in his uh, heart uh, or whatever. You could see when Jared Kushner, when talking about criminal justice reform, uh, you know, was was sort of on the forefront of his mind. And then when really the the person that should be talked about much, much more, Stephen Miller, uh, who I think obviously is his immigration go-to guy, you could also see when his sort of uh, worldview was being presented through the lens of Donald Trump, uh, which I thought was kind of fascinating. So, yeah, we've got a president who's puppeting, um, whether it's his family members or uh, xenophobes uh, yeah, that uh, exactly. are a part of his administration. It, it is troubling. Um, but, you know, to, to your point about Stacey Abrams, I, I think, there, there really was a vision laid out uh, in her response to the president's State of oh, the right. Union about where Democrats are. Um, I think her best line was voters pick their leaders, not politicians picking their voters. Um, and her I loved that line. Her work on you know, voting rights is, is going to be so critical, not just in the state of Georgia, but everywhere as we see the impact of voter suppression and and. And to really have her articulate the plight of the 800,000 plus federal Mm -hmm. workers and then contractors on top of that, um, based on a stunt, um, I I think was was important in that moment. And it's a tough, tough job. It's a tough job. And she did really well. She did. So Stacey Abrams, obviously, um, she is eyeing a Senate seat, perhaps in uh, in 2020. Uh, she lost to a dude, Brian Kemp. Uh, that's the dude who is now the governor of Georgia. And again, he was in charge of the voting rolls. He purged multiple names. Stacey Abrams, uh, as far as the past State of the Unions go, the ones within uh, you know recent memory anyway, I mean, I thought she did 10 out of 10 uh, as far as being able to talk a little bit about her life experience, which I thought was a really unique way in to sort of blossoming out um, into more of the macro, talking about her father giving the coat to a homeless person uh, because he knew that he had a family that was going to come and look for him and find him and take care of him. And I thought that that was a really kind of a powerful way into the message of where the Democratic Party should be going when it comes to sort of lifting people up and uh, as opposed to this sort of tear down politics that we're living in now. So I thought that was a really creative way to get into her speech. She told her story and, and it certainly was a powerful one and it, she was credible. <laughs> and you know, when you, when you follow someone who uh, was not very credible up there <laughs> making his state of the union speech to have her tell her personal story and, and, and have it be as credible and, and believable as it was. Right. Um, I think the contrast uh, was exactly what Democrats hoped for. Right, uh, absolutely. And the president can continue to talk to the man in the mirror, but the Democrats gave someone that they could believe in. And, you know, she did it with a certain, I don't know, I just felt there was a certain joy when I was when I just hearing and seeing. She did a really good job of not making it seem doom and gloom, which I think is so, it's, it's so easy to do. When, when talking about politics in this country, it's so easy to just kind of like turn off 
and make people feel like, oh, everything is horrible. You left that speech feeling a little bit uplifted. I mean, at least I did, even though she was talking about very real issues like voter suppression. She has a she has a quote here. She says, let's be clear. Voter suppression is real. And of course, she would know again, <laughs> losing that seat to Kemp. Uh, she goes on to say, for making it harder to register and stay on the rolls, to moving and closing polling places, to rejecting lawful ballots, we can no longer in- ignore these threats to democracy. So she's talking about really key cornerstones of what this uh, Democratic Republic is supposed to be all about. But she did it in a way that I thought was extremely relatable. Do you think that voting do you think that voting rights are going to be important in 2020 as an issue? Because I think that's a total winner for the Democratic Party. I, I certainly hope so. And, and signs are pointing pointing to that way. The fact that Stacey Abrams was picked to give the response to the president's State of the Union uh, is certainly one key indicator. And the reality is Democrats can't survive unless this issue is, is dealt with, because right. It is these policies that you just listed, um, the closing of polling place, the challenging of ballots, the purging of voters off of the rolls. These policies are targeted directly at Democratic voters. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they're not putting policies in to target communities that vote in higher numbers for Republicans. Uh, And I mean, this is just how despicable it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Democrats, Democrats have to embrace this. But I've also always said that when it comes to looking at voting rights, that we can't only be focused on the the voter suppression um, aspect of this, that we have to also have a very clear agenda around the expansion of voting rights. Uh, right. and, and we have to have a proactive agenda as far as how do we get to, you know, a voting holiday or voting on Saturdays or actually online voting and, and making it as easy of a transaction as possible uh, and and, and to counter those voter suppression efforts. So as much as we invest in fighting the voter suppression, we need to invest in expanding voting rights. That was one of the most interesting debates that we had this this past week that was, I guess it's not as salacious or as fun as other debates, but when Mitch McConnell, when discussing perhaps making voting a national holiday, where you can get the day off so workers can go and vote for the candidate they think is going to help them. He called that a power grab, and she addresses that. She says, we must reject cynicism that says allowing every eligible vote to be cast and counted is, quote, a power grab. Americans understand that these are the values our brave men and women in uniform and veterans risk their lives to defend. So as far as the Republican Party, I just don't see – how that I'm not sure what the polling data is on that, but I cannot imagine that the American people, when talking about, uh, which I know for a fact the polling data is in favor of making Election Day a national holiday, it cannot bode well for the Republican Party to have Mitch McConnell straight up calling that a power grab when it is simply the most fair way to do it. Well, he's not even hiding it anymore. No, not at all. And, and that's, that's really interesting because... The, if you think about how Republicans have, have messaged around this, it's been about, you know, illegal, illegals, um, aliens voting That's or, right. you know, <laughs> millions of, of, of people voting, all the millions of people who committed uh-huh. voter fraud, if you remember what President Trump said following his election. And, and again, yeah. covering up lies to push an agenda. And, and so Mitch McConnell didn't even lie about it this time he just said straight up it's a power grab we don't want more democrats voting um it it is a power to the people grab which i think that's kind of good for a democracy but it is amazing to me that somehow that messaging has stuck when it comes to illegal voting first of all if you're undocumented or illegal the last place you want to be uh is in a government facility where you can then be detained um where you know you go to vote and then second of all, you can't get anyone to vote in this country, let alone these this make-believe droves of people who want to do it illegally. It is like so hard to get people to the polls in the first place. I cannot believe that that rhetoric is somehow considered reasonable in this country right now. Well, when you have a president who continuously beats the drum of the only thing you have to fear is brown people, uh, that 
that is how these messages are able to sink in. And he he clearly does that on every front and Republicans have, have fallen in line with him. And that's why I do think, you know, this issue of, of what's happening in Virginia, bringing back up the conversation about race. Let's let's and, do that. Yep. Looking at the the 2020 lineup uh, and, and the diversity that we are seeing there, that this is going to be a, an important part of the conversation in 2020. It's going to be yeah. an important part of the conversation. The entire Democratic field, you know, puts in front of President Trump as being his responsibility as far as how divided we are uh, on racial lines in this country right now. Specifically on, yeah, on citizens, you know, Spanish speaking uh, in England. There's a lot of different kind of proxy battles when it comes to the diversity issue that I think is is definitely something uh, well worth exploring. Hey, what's up, everyone? How you doing? You know, the new year means new resolutions. And we've got one you're already working on twice every day. It's your oral health. And with Quip Electric Toothbrush, sticking to good habits is simple. Their guiding features are like a built-in support system for better brushing. The Quip's got a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides. It helps you clean your whole mouth evenly, which is important. Now get this, a whopping 90% of us don't brush for the full two minutes or don't clean evenly. That's not good. A lot of us also brush too hard, and some electric toothbrushes are way too abrasive. That's why Quip comes packed with sensitive sonic vibrations for an effective clean that's also gentle on your sensitive gums. Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association. They're backed by over 25,000 dental professionals, and they have thousands of verified five-star reviews. You guys already know how much I love Quip and how great it is to travel with. I personally love Quip because I like the way it buzzes in my mouth, and it makes my teeth feel all clean, and I love it. That's why I love Quip and why over 1 million happy, healthy mouths do too. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash top hat right now, you can get your first refill pack free. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash top hat. So let's talk about Virginia for a second here. Uh, there's, you know, a lot to unpack. So Democratic governor, this dude's name is Ralph Northam. So basically this yearbook picture, I'm sure everyone has seen it at this point. This 1984 medical school yearbook sur- uh, picture surfaced. He's either in blackface or he's dressed as a Klansman. I don't know what I don't know what's worse. Um, so anyway, so this this picture surfaces. This dude is like, yeah, I, I'm one of those dudes in the picture. And then the next day he gives a press conference and he's like, no, I'm not in that picture. Although I have worn blackface, but I was imitating Michael Jackson. And then we almost saw him do the moonwalk. It was one of the strangest press conferences I have ever seen. So your thoughts first on Governor Northrum, who is still there. Do you think he should resign? He's thinking about just leaving the Democratic Party and staying in office. What do you think is best? Because, I mean, the Democratic Party does not have a lot of governorships across the country. So is it is is it worth uh, giving this up uh, because of this 1984 picture? What do you think they should do? In in 1984, I was 12 years old, and I certainly knew that blackface was offensive. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't a student, 25 year old student in medical school, right? And and I think it it really does boil down to that as far as when the constituents of Governor Governor Northam think about him. And, and the trust that he has lost uh, in in being able to govern, uh, mm-hmm. not to mention not to mention the very quick and forcible calls for his resignation from all Democrats. Um, he is a man without a party right now. Um, I, I don't think the calculation from Democrats should have anything to do with, you know, uh, its impact on. Uh, our ability to win Virginia in 2020, it, it's, it, it's the humanity of it. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the fact that he doesn't even know which one it was him right. in um, the picture and then is now asking us to believe that um, he was wrong or the idea that you would have to call your friends to see if 
you are in a picture like this. Um, he has no more credibility, but I think that the conversation around this particular flare up can't just be, should he resign, you know, full stop, which he should, it, it needs to be resign. And what is the continuation of this? Because the only time we talk about race in this country in, in this, you know, uh, yeah, I think very amplified way with the media is around these flare-ups. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. it, it, the situation doesn't go away when he resigns. <laughs> it doesn't go away when he, if he steps away from the Democratic Party and continues to try to pretend like he could govern the Commonwealth of Virginia. Right. Uh, I think that will come quickly to an end. Um, but we have to have a much deeper conversation as you you know, have seen that now the attorney general in Virginia has come out and said that in his youth, he was in blackface, yes. um, you know, for a performance uh, of rappers. And uh, <laughs> yes, it, Virginia is having its, you know, racial Me Too mo- moment in a sense. Well, it's not just having a racial Me Too movement. It's also having a Me Too Me Too movement. So we have Ralph Northam. He's still there, blackface, uh, heavy, heavily embarrassed. Can he still govern? It's looking like less and less possible every day. So who would take over if he left office? Well, that would be Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax. That's who would succeed him. Uh, Now, a college professor has accused Fairfax of sexually assaulting her in 2004. This accusation was made in 2017. Uh, Fairfax uh, has said that the encounter was consensual. So that would be just another. So Northrum is gone. And, we're, and we'll get to the AG in here in a second. But now Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax is in, and now we have another scandal that you have to deal with right away for the Democratic Party. Um, so how, how should they handle that? Look, I um, think there absolutely needs to be an investigation uh, by the right authorities in this situation. Um, when I ran for DNC chair, I, I, I ran really on a a part of my agenda was around addressing the racism and sexism and sexual harassment within our party. I understand as someone who was also sexually assaulted at a convention, which is what this college professor has said, uh, Mm -hmm. governor or Lieutenant governor Fairfax, um, did, uh, to her. And so there, there needs to be an investigation. We have to get to the bottom of it. She, she needs to be heard. And I don't know what is happening in Virginia politics right now, like where we will end up with, right. with this much turmoil. But I certainly think that whether it is a, a accountability for a photo that you don't know if you are in blackface or in a KKK hood, or it's accountability for an incident where a woman was sexually assaulted at a Democratic convention or it's accountability for the attorney general who was also now in blackface as a young man that we, we need to hold these politicians accountable to our society and our culture right now. And, and if right. that is happening and, and Democrats are feeling the brunt of it in this moment, I'm okay with that as a lifelong Democrat, because this, this should not be a partisan issue. Racism is not a partisan issue. Mm. You know, uh, misogyny is not a partisan issue. And, mm-hmm. and we in the media are guilty of, in, in, at times like this, um, putting it into those tracks. And we need to, I think, step away from that. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah I, you're, you're absolutely correct about that. So let's just say Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax, um, uh, maybe he stays, maybe he doesn't. But then, as uh, Jamu has been alluding to, Who's next in line? Well, then you would have the Attorney General, Mark Herring, and now he came out. And so there must be some photos. He must have gotten some information being like, yeah, bro, if you, (laughs) you know, we got these pictures of you too, so I wouldn't go that hard on Northrum or whatever it might be. I'm sure he he realizes that these uh, photos are out there. Another college party in the 1980s, he was seen. Uh, wearing blackface so that would be and of course he's another uh, democrat so that would be three three democrats gone in in one and uh, you know i i just i wonder because the republican party i don't think they're going i don't the republican party the, the, trump is still there right like al franken is gone and trump is still there so you know is it 
I don't think the Republican Party would be firing any of these people. So are they just going to get control of Virginia again? I mean, because they be, simply because they're like, well, we don't care. You know, and then the voters are like, well, I don't know. I guess we'll just go with the people who don't give a shit. Well, um, we have to keep in mind, Steve King is still a member oh of Congress. God. And as you said, yes, President Trump is still in the White House. And, and we talked earlier about a certain part of the president's base. And now the a significant part of the Republican Party base are people who consider themselves to be white supremacists, white nationalists, and, and they are proud of it. Um, and, and through the Trump administration, through the you know, Trump campaign initially, uh, they have gotten more voice, they have gotten more visibility, and, and that, that to me is very concerning, but they are certainly thriving in this environment. Um, and, and Republicans are not holding themselves accountable to fighting off these forces within their party. But if the Republican Party doesn't hold themselves accountable and they just keep on running people and then those people win, is it like, uh, you know, to me, I'm just to modern politics. And I, you know, uh, I love following politics, been doing it for for many, many years now. Um, but my goodness, it could be, you know, one party uh, is I, I suppose the only question is, could it be? At what point does it become too politically detrimental for the Democratic Party? And I'm not saying that they that with Northrum and all this stuff, I'm not saying that anyone should stay or go. But the Republican Party, I mean, they could just continue to to pick up seats simply by not caring that they do have Steve. If Steve King wins again, yeah, they, they took away his committee and he's no longer, you know, in like whatever. I think it was a national security committee or something like that. But there, I mean, if he wins again, they're still going to let him in. Well, that's why we have elections, my friends, because every two years in, in Congressman King's uh, situation, every two years, we, we can vote them out. Yes, and, and his support is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So. I, I have faith in, in the voters. Um, and we talked about voting rights earlier, voter suppression. There, there are going to be forces being led by Republicans to, mm. to try to pull back those votes. Um, but I, I have faith that even in the face of voter suppression, that people like Steve King and someone like President Trump will be defeated at the ballot box. Well, I think there's a great possibility of that. And of course, Steve King, if you've looked at his trajectory of support, it is way down. I believe he only got three. uh, He won by about three percent in this past election. And uh, previously it was 10, 15, 20, 30. Uh, So I think the folks of Iowa are becoming embarrassed as they should. So just lastly with Northrum, and then we'll talk about the Democratic Party. And then I'll let you go back to enjoying the beautiful place of Austin, Texas. And you can stop talking to my my voice, I guess, because you can't see my face. But with Northrum, if he doesn't want to be a Democrat, I don't think the Republican Party is going to take him anytime soon as well. Obviously, it's a really pro-life Republican Party, specifically in Virginia. This is the comment that got him in trouble regarding, and it, you know, it, it sounds horrible. He obviously, this is not an articulate way to describe this stuff. So this is what he said. He said the infant with this, regarding abortion. He said the infant would be resuscitated if that's what the mother and the family desired, and then the discussion would ensue between physicians and the mother. So then, of course, you're going to have someone like a Ben Sass. Republican out of Nebraska say, uh, quote, this is what basically this is what Ben Sass says Northrum's comments sound like. He says, keep the newborns comfortable while the doctor debates infanticide. I don't know. Northrum, as you said, is a man without a political party. And I'm I'm thinking the only other option uh, might not want him uh, because of his stances on uh, on abortion and specifically uh, that statement. So, um, all right, let's talk briefly here about the Democratic Party. What do you think? Um, Obviously, uh, we have Elizabeth Warren. Do we want to talk scandals? We can talk a couple of scandals. Um, It seems like I just read a great article in the New York Post talking about the apology tour that some of the Democrats seem to be starting their um, campaigns on. This is an article, if you get a chance, read it, New York Times, uh, for those that have it. Um, it. 2020 Democrats agree they're very, very sorry. So is this the right way to be starting off uh, the 2020 field for the Democratic Party? Uh, what, do you, what do you envision and who, who has been exciting so far for you? It's too early, Ben. I know. We have to start talking. It's, it's only two years away. All right. Come on. We need to start. I, I just, as as I think about how many Democrats are going to 
uh, enter. And, you know, we just heard uh, a few hours ago that Beto is now saying to Oprah, he's going to make his decision in, in about a month. It, it is hard to Ugh. try to wrap your mind around any sort of thing as far as like who's doing something right or who's doing what's wrong. Right. Um, I'm, I'm very, very excited that because of Hillary Clinton, and I will say that proudly because of Hillary Clinton, it's no longer remarkable to have a woman uh, in the Democratic primary field. And so now mm-hmm. we have multiple women and we've got Amy Klobuchar, Senator Amy Klobuchar, um, making an announcement um, in a couple of days yep. in, in Minnesota, I think in like negative 20 degree weather, um, yeah, we expect yeah. her to enter the race. So the fact that we have so many women in the race that where if one, you know, get comes out of the gate and doesn't do as well and, and, and maybe drops out early, there's going to be another one in the waiting. That that I'm, I'm most excited about as far as where we are now. As far as who is, you know, doing anything right or wrong. I think that, you know, Senator Elizabeth Warren has had a, has had a tough go of it. And, and yeah. with the reporters having tracked down her bar registration card mm-hmm. and showing that she, you know, listed her race as being native American, right. I, I think she's going to have to continue explaining. And when she's explaining, she's not winning. And so She's just going to have to continue to explain the situation that she wants to have go away. I've been uh, talking about uh, Elizabeth Warren quite quite a bit lately, and honestly, she's been doing a good job. She's been out there. She's campaigning. She's meeting the people. She's hugging the baby, shaking the hands. Now, but I did find this interesting, and I was thinking about this last night, specifically in the context of Northrum's blackface, a physical, if it was, well, he did admit to wearing blackface as Michael Jackson, so we could say Northrum's blackface. Um, that's a tangible uh, you know, sort of a, I guess, suppose an appropriation, I guess. Um, but when it comes to cultural appropriation, this, you know, I think it can be a little bit overblown. If someone has dreadlocks, I don't think it's cultural appropriation. It's just, a, it's a fun look for every college student to have. But when it comes to someone claiming to be something that they're not, and then perhaps receiving benefits that 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 someone in that group actually should have had, with Elizabeth Warren claiming to be American Indian, as she wrote it on. Um, on that piece of paper, you know, is there any comparison there? I mean, is there any, like, is is this going to be something, it's not the biggest, I mean, Trump has so many more personal freaking issues than this. It's not the biggest deal, but it is, there's something about it. It hits on a, a lot of, it hits on a lot of sensitive areas in this country when you're claiming to be somebody uh, that you're not. And when you're taking perhaps money away from someone who actually is specifically in this case Native American, do you really think this is going to gonna haunt her down? And um, maybe she just never should have taken that freaking DNA test. Well, I my understanding very clearly from the reporting that I've read is that at no point did she benefit from okay. this claim. And even with this being written on the bar registration card, there wasn't a benefit that came from it. So okay. I, I think it is, it's important to clarify that. Yes, now, no, that is. That's a is good this, clarification. Is, Thank this, you. is this a conversation she wants to be having right now? Absolutely not. Is this one she wants to continue to have as we enter you know, the Iowa and New Hampshire um, primaries and caucuses? No, she wants this to go away, but... Um, because the president is um, so offensive with his racial slur in calling her Pocahontas and because the way, quite frankly, our media uh, aligns itself to uh, amplifying the president's messaging uh, around issues like this and around his attacks, uh, I I think this is something that is going to follow her. Uh, I, I hope that within the Democratic primary process that Democratic voters are able to brush off um, some of the meaninglessness and, and really focus on the substance. That's what this primary process should, should allow us to do. Yeah, I My hope goodness, so. How it's, how it's done with um, uh, 50 people, I don't know, um, but uh, I am going to Look at it as a marathon. We're, we're in a marathon. It's not a sprint. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to messaging, the one area that it's I am really happy, I'm a huge proponent of criminal justice reform. Our jail system, our prison system, 
Um, it is it is abhorrent what we do to human beings. We just saw what happened here in Brooklyn. I'm not sure if you saw that story. At a jail here in Brooklyn uh, during the coldest week of the year, they didn't have any power. Uh, they had no heat. And it is. Then they were locked. They were locked in there because there was no power. They had to lock everyone into their cell, into their cage. Criminal justice. I. It is. It needs to continue to improve in this country. So I'm happy that there's bipartisan support. But that's the one thing with Kamala Harris. It's not this Native American stuff. This kind of periphery stuff. Her stance on criminal justice is extremely conservative in my personal opinion she calls herself a progressive prosecutor i don't know uh about all that sounds like a compassionate conservative to me um but what do you think what do you want to see for her from her uh, going forward because she can't hide from that record and and to her credit nor is she is that criminal justice more hawkish criminal justice is that going to be a, a net uh win for her now that we have a democratic party that does need to court people who might be a little bit more center-right, who might be disaffected by Donald Trump? I, I think that Kamala Harris is is very committed to uh, being more progressive as it relates to issues on criminal justice. Uh, I, I think that, just to clarify also, that there is such a thing as a progressive prosecutor. And we, we, we have seen real progressive prosecutors who have had gone in to uh, their communities and, and, and found cases that were handled incorrectly mm-hmm. and helped free um, innocent people. They, we have, you know, real progressive prosecutors who have seen that evidence was, was not handled or, um, uh, you know, was not necessarily handled in a way that was uh, fair to the, the, the possible suspects and, and decided not to pursue cases uh, we've had real progressive prosecutors who have gone after um, members of law enforcement who have abused their power. Sure. Um, right. And and so there are lots of things that she could have done more <laughs> to be a real progressive prosecutor. Right, exactly. But I also think that she is absolutely committed to being more progressive, not just through this process, but also through where we have moved as a country. Um, but I also think she stands, you know, very proudly on her record as a federal prosecutor in a way that is going to be attractive to some independent voters. And um, as you said, some center right voters, uh, but she's got to get through this primary. And you know how I found out about the Brooklyn um, situation was actually on Kamala Harris's Twitter feed as she was, making sure that people knew that this was going on and it was unacceptable. So she's doing something right. Well, hopefully she can, she can, I don't know, in my personal opinion, uh, correct some of those things. It just could have, it kind of uh, reads to me a little bit like history repeating going back to 92's election where I thought Bill Clinton, he was far too conservative on criminal justice, three strikes and you're out, all the mandatory minimums and all of that stuff. I just don't want to see the Democratic Party lose uh, one of the key tenets, in my personal opinion, of of where the party should be ideologically, which is pro criminal justice reform, and uh, that's my only, uh, you know, that's that's just a, a concern. I don't want to see us lose, uh, see them lose that uh, as a uh, as a key component of the platform. Um, all right, so you said Beto might be getting in. Do you think, uh, you know, when, when do you think Joe Biden's going to get in? If Biden does get in, obviously he's going to be seen more as a moderate now. Uh, Beto, more of a moderate as well. I mean, a lot of people, I know they tried to brand him when he was running against Ted Cruz as some huge liberal, but it's just simply not accurate. And and that's fine with me. Um, I like both of those dudes uh, in a lot of ways. Is there any concern that um, the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party is going to divide the vote between six or seven people, and then you're going to have someone like a Joe Biden come in and just be able to pick up 30, 40 percent throughout and just take the whole thing? Well, does does um, Vice President Biden listen to your show, Ben? I don't think so. I mean, maybe he does. I know ah. John John McCain heard it once or twice, but but uh, you know that's that's fine. I was hoping he does because I would say, Vice President Biden, please don't run. Really? Um, and 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 well, you know I, what? He does. He does. He does listen. Yeah, I just got I just got word. He just texted me. And I even as um, even as a Texan, um, I would say the same thing to Beto. It's and it's all it's all the bees, not you, Ben, but it's all the bees. No <laughs> Biden, no Bernie, 
No Beto. Wow, a, a total <laughs> and, cancellation of the bees. That's amazing. I don't, I don't think that will happen. I, I think that they will probably all get into the race because it is very hard. Well, of course. Uh, why don't you want to see? Because uh, why don't you want to see Biden? It's funny. We were out a, at a wedding over in Florida. We ran into Charlie Crist, uh, former governor, now a congressman, and he could not stop talking about Joe Biden. He's like, he's the future. And I'm like, he's seven. He's going to be seventy-eight. Um, I guess I. I it may be the future in the short term, but why don't you want to see Biden get in? Well, Biden was in Switzerland, uh, I think about a week ago, and you know at Davos, the gathering of all of the world leaders, world mm. economic leaders, and he had a really big meeting with um, you know one of the finance ministers, uh, and walked straight up to her husband and introduced himself <laughs> and. She was standing next to her husband and said, actually, no, I'm the one you're meeting with. That's amazing. And (laughs) I just, I think of what would be yet to come in just the world of of Vice President Biden gas in in this new world we live in where, my gosh, you know, a woman can be a finance minister. Imagine that. Um, and I, I don't want to go through the Biden gaffes of 2020. Um, so you, there's, so now we've come into the, we've come full circle. There's a Venn diagram of agreement between you and Donald Trump. The gaffes are not on purpose, and he is, he's dumb and he's dumb, dumb, dumb. No, I please, I, I'm not, I'm not aligning myself with Donald Trump. But in, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, I, I don't think Joe Biden is the future of the Democratic Party. I don't think Bernie Sanders is the future of the Democratic Party. I think Bernie Sanders did an incredible job of inspiring some new, young, progressive rock stars. Clearly, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has taken up his mantle well. And I'm like, okay, sit down. You've done your job. Um, I, I said earlier, I'm excited about these women. And so I'm looking to one of them (laughs) <laughs> to be the nominee, and maybe we can have a man in there for diversity for VP. How about that? That's good. That Keep the ticket diverse. Well, there is a lot of conversation, and this is sort of what I've said as well, about like maybe a Biden-Beto uh, ticket, which I know, obviously, that would be your dream <laughs> ticket. Um, but, you know, I, I do think uh, the Democratic Party cannot just go with two white dudes, and that just kind of is what it is. I don't like to think about things um, – as far as uh, you know, racial and gender stuff goes, but as far as, but I mean, it just kind of is what it is uh, in the world of politics as we uh, as we have them today. And I don't see, I don't see the ticket just being two dudes. I, I don't, I don't see the ticket. Um, I just don't see that. Um, but with Beto, I don't know. It's interesting with Beto. He didn't win, which you know, obviously uphill battle. He did very well. Um, I, I'm not really sure. I, I don't. I don't really know if he's going to be able to do very well in a general, but maybe he will. I. I, I have no idea. What has he accomplished? Well, that's kind what of has the he bi- accomplished. And I looked to someone like Stacey Abrams, who also did not win, but everything she accomplished as the minority leader in the Georgia State House, you know, for 11 years. And you, you do have a disparity. I know. I, I hear you that you don't look at there's things through the racial or gender lens, but there is a disparity in how we look at uh, a, a man like Congressman um, O'Rourke, Beto, who who failed, and then his ability to fail up versus um, those opportunities that women get to fail up to running for president um, uh, with no accomplishments. Uh, I, I think his accomplishment, certainly as a Texan, of, of uh, inspiring Democrats to to turn out in larger numbers than we've seen in a long time of inspiring new people um, to come to the Democratic Party in Texas of actually creating a, a, a organization that taught to every county in Texas. He did some incredible things. Right. But does that make you presidential material? Um, no, I don't think not yet. There there's some rock stars with some real experience under their their belts, and those belts happen maybe to be studded with jewels um more power to them perhaps there's also a dude i like this guy he's a moderate he's out of texas maybe you know him uh colin allred do you know colin allred he he's he's yes he he's a good guy I like him a lot, and he's more of a moderate too. And I, you know, he's he he just uh, flipped a uh, a district over in Texas there, 
Um, and he was a linebacker. So I like that because he's a football player, and you know he's a linebacker. And that's the that's the quarterback of the defense. Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot going on with the Democratic Party. It's, I'm, I'm happy to hear – it's funny to hear your thoughts on on uh, on Biden and Beto, and I, I agree with you on Beto. Biden, I just don't see him. I think Biden's just going to hang out on the sidelines and then get in because, you know, he's got all the name recognition in the world and then get in in like four or five months – and who the heck knows uh, what happens? Perhaps it's just sort of a a pause presidency, almost like a delayed H.W. Bush, uh, as he was to Ronald Reagan. It almost seems like let's just go back in time really quick. Just get the VP in there, and then we'll try to refigure things out. Um, but who knows? Um, I I hope that's not the case because I think that there are some real exciting Democrats. Uh, I and. I, I hope that we're able to have a much more deeper conversation in 2020 than we did in 2016 when oh. it was all, but what about her emails? Um, and, and the uh, issues that are on the table from healthcare for all to, uh, you know, criminal justice reform, as you said, uh, just an exciting time for Democrats. And, and I want us to lean in mm-hmm. uh, to all of these opportunities and not settle. Speaking of emails, do you think there's any there's the rumor mill as you and I both follow the we're just I guess nerds I think is what that's called, um, but there are some some people are like Hillary's going to get back in she hasn't said no any chance do you think and I don't even want to yeah do you, is there any chance that Hillary uh, gets back into the election uh, gets back into the campaign? <laughs> Two things on that. One, she has every right to, yep. in the same way that Joe Biden does. Absolutely, no, absolutely. And two, two, I don't think there's any chance she's going to get in, but right. she has the right to. No, absolutely, I, I completely agree. Uh, completely agree with that. Um, all right, well, there it is. I guess is there anything else that we should talk about? I feel like we did a pretty good job of talking about a bunch of stuff. Oh, we covered everything and the kitchen sink, my friend. I love that. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Jamu Green, uh, anything that you want to press right now, websites or anything like that, you got a Twitter. It's at Jamu, uh, J-E-H-M-U. Um, you're like share, single name. That's all it, That's all you need. <laughs> well, yes, and I only take Twitter followers that are, are going to be nice and, and not threatening. But I do <laughs> Well, so you I don't do have a lot of followers that- then, is that right? You don't have, you, have, you, <laughs> exactly, you haven't taken a follower right. in the past 10 years or <laughs> – Exactly. Twitter is going to be the death of us. Um, But I will say that my excitement about women and not just at the top of the ticket in 2020, not just the record numbers we saw during the State of the Union, but all down the ballot. Um, In 2019, there are 19,000 seats up for school board. There are thousands of municipal seats that women can run for. And I think we just have to make sure that the women's wave we saw in 2018, that it continues into this year, that we continue to build that pipeline. And so I encourage all of your listeners who know a woman who should be running for office to go to the nonpartisan. So we train Democrats, we train Republicans, we train independents, we train anyone. If you are a woman, we want to train you at voterunlead.org voterunlead.org that's awesome and you've been doing some the last time we spoke you were doing some really and you still are doing some kick-ass stuff uh with all of that so absolutely get out there and um feel you know the local politics are where it's uh, that's what it's all about school board all those things those are so unbelievably crucial and they're not talked about um because our news media doesn't talk about anything that matters so there it is thank you so much jamu green thank you so much for being on the show thanks ben all right, there it was, my interview with, or more conversation. I don't like interviews, you know. I'm, I'm a conversationalist. Uh, that was Jamu Green. Uh, she is awesome. So it's going to be an exciting year and even year and change when it comes to uh, this election cycle. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for listening. You can find me on social media, BenKissel1 on Instagram. I like Instagram the best. Um, and then Twitter. I don't know. I'm, I'm doing it every now and again. But sometimes it's not very productive, and I don't like things that aren't productive. We will see you. I can't wait to see you all on the road soon. There's a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, I could just continue to talk to you forever, but I know you have to go about and take care of your children and go have fun with your life. 
Um, so thank you all so much for listening. Love you very much. Hail yourselves. We'll talk to you soon. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.